You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Part of the Over the Monster Network. Swinging a high deep drive in the right field. That one's stalled to the right. Hunter on the move. Racing back. It's over his head. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. Presented by SB Nation. It hasn't happened at Fenwick Park for 95 years. The Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. Here comes a 1-2 pitch. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. High He crushed it! It's a grand slam! Wow! I'm telling you, it's time to party! Got it! 300 strikeouts in 2017 for Chris Sale. An absolute strikeout machine. 13 tonight against the Baltimore Orioles. They're all loaded. High fly ball, deep in the left center field. Way back it carries. That ball is gone! The Red Sox walk it off in style. That's how it's done. The X-Man strikes. Fly ball to deep left center field. Devers has hit it out! The rookie takes Chapman the other way to tie the game. Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I'm joined by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru to discuss... Uh, all things Boston Red Sox. Um, this is not an emergency edition. This is your regular Sunday edition of the podcast coming out Monday morning. Um, but good timing for us, Keaton. Uh, after doing the emergency podcast earlier in the week, um, these, this Mookie Betts thing dragged on for the better part of the week, um, driving everybody and definitely myself completely to the brink of insanity. But uh, the deal has been finished. Um Pending a few other things, and I mean, it's this one's done. Um, well, one of the players involved has already been alerted. Um, so it looks like one of the craziest weeks in recent Red Sox history has uh finally been closed, and we can now talk about a finalized Mookie Betts deal. I feel like the only thing that matched like the chaos of this whole situation was the failed a-rod signing way back in the beginning of the century when they had a deal done and then they didn't and then he was with the yankees that was the only thing that came to mind that was as like just as chaotic and he's here it's done just kidding it's not there's other something blah and then we're all just heads exploded and then finally it's done yeah, um, I would agree. That was pretty crazy. Um, I think I was like a freshman or sophomore in high school when that happened. So um, I was blissfully unaware to how crazy it must have been. And also there was no Twitter. Yeah, um, could you imagine that in like no. the Twitter age? <laughs> oh my God. This this week, I have to tell you, has been the, the uh, most terrible week 
ever to have Twitter. I have to say, like, this whole thing, this year, I'm going to just get right to it. This year of 2019, <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, for, for most everybody who listens to me on this podcast and had listened to me on Locked on Red Sox when I was doing that last year, um, I podcasted six to seven times a week about the Red Sox during the 2019 season. And that season was so disappointing because the team had won the World Series in 119 games and goes down to 84 games. So that season in its in and of itself was like one of the worst seasons ever from an expectation standpoint. And I did not think it could be possible that the 2020 offseason would be just as painful, if not more painful, uh, to be a Red Sox fan. So I, I tweeted out the other day that this year and offseason combined has been like the absolute worst year of fandom in my life. And I stand by that. This whole thing has been like pulling teeth out of my mouth individually one by one. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I agree with that. And it just kind of really hit the peak or dear God, I hope it hit the peak with this this week. I can't. Well, I mean, they literally can't do anything bigger than this, <laughs> right? Like, this is it. This is this is the big move. So, <clears throat> unfortunately, my cough has not completely left me by now, but I'm feeling much healthier than I was on Tuesday or wherever, whenever it was that we um, recorded last. So, let's get to it. Um, the final details of the Mookie Betts deal are as follows, uh, and it ended up being three separate deals. So... From the Dodgers um, to the Red Sox is going to be Alex Verdugo, like we thought, plus Cheater Downs, who MLB.com has ranked as their 44th ranked prospect, um, as well as catcher Connor Wong, who uh, MLB.com has as the Dodgers' number 28 prospect. He's a pretty good catcher. We'll talk about him a little bit later. Um, And then going to the Dodgers is bets in price, as well as $48 million. Now, the Twins thing, uh, the, the deal between the Twins and the Dodgers is a separate deal. So that deal is going to be Kenta Maeda, uh, a minor leaguer in $10 bucks, going from the Dodgers um, to the Twins. And going from the Twins to the Dodgers is Brewstar Gratterall, uh, an MILB outfielder who they haven't named yet, apparently, and a 2020 um, competitive balance B pick. So that's it. In the Angels deal, apparently, that was going to be between the Dodgers and uh, and the Angels is now off the table. So that's it. When the dust settles, do you like this deal more or less than the other one? Um, <clears throat> I like it more. Um, if it's like a well. I'm just. I'm not gonna rehash it. I would still. I'd still rather have Mookie. But if it's a, here are the your two choices. You have to have one of them. Uh, I think they made out better in this go around. However, it. I. I'm. Con- I've just. Well, maybe we'll talk about that later too. Just uh, how we got to this point. Anyway, I like this deal better. Um, Verdugo's still a fine piece, fine outfielder. Glad that he's still part of the deal. Uh, Jeter Downs uh, is one of the guys that we actually speculated. Uh, from the beginning, really, the beginning of this offseason, that we we figured that was one of the prospect pieces that they would be able to part with and send our way. Um, and we also 
guests uh Kybert Ruiz because we <laughs> there's uh, a horde of catching prospects that the Dodgers have. They're just kind of accumulating them like Beanie Babies in the late 90s. And Interesting choice there. Yeah. <laughs> that And surprisingly, that was the third thing that came to mind when I was trying to pick that analogy. Uh, the first two were Pogs and Pokemon cards. So, uh, and it ended up not being Ruiz, it ended up being Connor Wong, who's actually still a pretty fine catching prospect so yeah i'm pretty happy about it i mean the red sox pitching is still not in great shape but i don't think that um one pitching prospect even if uh grad raw was the starting pitching prospect that they initially thought he was was going to solve all their uh pitching depth woes so i'm not um like disappointed that they didn't somehow get a pitching prospect back in this deal and i think there's other ways that they can address those needs but i think the three pieces that they're getting are pieces that are eventually going to be able to help the major league team and they added some depth in areas that they didn't have yeah i agree i think it was good from that perspective i do like it better than the first deal so uh obviously verdugo is going to be a good fit we already talked about him last podcast so if you want to hear our opinions on verdugo um definitely tune into that one um but let's talk a little bit about the two prospects that the Red Sox did get in Jeter Downs and um, Wong. Um, Jeter Downs, first of all, Prospects Live has him as their third-ranked uh, prospect for the Dodgers <clears throat> system behind Dustin May and Gavin Lux. Um, MLB um, has him as the 44th overall and by team. Uh, let's just see. Um, is not up yet. Um, but I assume that he's fairly high for them as well. And then in terms of Baseball America, Baseball America has him as the sixth-ranked prospect in that system. And most scouts agree that um, Jeter Downs has the upside of an MLB regular. He's playing shortstop right now, but uh, evaluators see him as somebody who will likely move off of the shortstop position. Um and the, the thought there is that he probably fits best as a second baseman. And when he was with the Reds, he did also play a good amount of second base as well. So he seems like an everyday um, second baseman is where his role should be. And when when talking about him and that fit with the Red Sox, I mean, that seems like a pretty natural fit to me. Yeah, I mean, he was clearly not going to play shortstop anytime soon for the Red Sox. So uh, second place or second base uh, is a position that there isn't an obvious fit right now for the Red Sox, um, really either short-term or long-term, right? I mean, the only one, uh, we've talked about a rotation of Chavis and Peraza, um, but that's not, I mean, that's a guess. And that's also really more short-term than long-term. So that's bridges the gap to eventual Jeter Downs playing there long-term. That makes sense. Yeah, and it also might speed things up in terms of the transition for Michael Chavis over more towards uh, being a first baseman. And it seems like the contract that they have with Mitch Moreland is just that to kind of help with the transition. A lot of people don't even view Mitch Moreland as a full-time first baseman anymore. So I think that this kind of further solidifies the fact that Chavis and Dahlbeck are going to be the long-term solution over at first base, at least till Tristan Casas comes up and takes that position. And then Michael Chavis maybe can be groomed for sort of a multi-positional um, bench role or maybe get some time in left field as well. Um, Jeter Downs, though, last year 
Uh, had a really good season. Um, over two levels at high A and at double A, he had 24 home runs. Uh, he had 24 stolen bases as well. Um, doesn't strike out a ton, walks a lot, um, you know, substantial. I mean, he had a, a 134 WRC plus over 107 games uh, at high A and a 207 WRC plus at double A, albeit over a 12 game sample size. But this guy's a really good hitter um, and certainly a good enough athlete to play a good second base. And I think that this is a great fit for the Red Sox, considering the fact that you know, Dustin Pedroia is done um, for all intents and purposes. He hasn't retired yet, but, I mean, that, that ship is, has likely sailed. Yeah, I wouldn't expect him back either. But and, and I can't think of anybody else who would really be a regular at second base coming up through the system, aside from if you decided to play Michael Chavis there. Chatham? I don't see Chatham as having a bat to be a regular player. You know, his bat is just so light. Yeah, that's probably true. I see that's, Chad. I'm that's sort current, of a like, I guess, bench like, guy. prior to this deal happening, though, he was probably the only one within the system that would come to mind as having a shot, though. That yeah. Right. How light it was. I think you're right. Um, and then the other piece here, um, the catcher, uh, let's see. MLB has him as their 28th and I looked up um, downs too he is third as well for MLB um, Connor Wong prospects live has as their 27th ranked prospect uh, baseball America doesn't have him in their top 10 obviously um, but most scouts see Connor Wong as a long-term um, backup catcher which seems like you know oh why would you trade for a backup catcher but those guys are actually valuable and Right now in the Red Sox system, there's nobody really who project, who projects as a surefire uh, backup catcher. And um, the Red Sox have had to look outside of the organization in terms of filling that gap. That's how they got Kevin Ploiecki. But, I mean, the defense is really good for him. It's just hit tool concerns. And when he does make contact, he's a pull-heavy guy. Um, hit 24 home runs last year. So, and that was... Uh, I want to say most of his time came in double A. Uh, let me just clarify that. Yeah, Connor Wong, um, he spent about a little bit more than half the year at high A uh, where he hit 15 home runs, and then he spent 40 games at double A where he had an additional nine home runs. Strikes out over 30% of the time, walks about 7% of the time, but you know, there's something there. There's some thump in that bat. So you could do a whole lot worse than a, a good defender who uh, has some some thump in his bat every once in a while. Yeah, certainly could. Um, and even with the low walk rate, still had pretty decent success getting on base at 336 in those 100 <coughs> games. Although, um, he, he had some really wacky numbers there in his promotion to double a there his batting average so i mean it's not really a small sample size 40 games pretty decent sample size batting average jumped over 100 points obp jumps about 85 yeah that's a pretty nice that's slash pretty line. impressive so, <laughs> see he had a 349 393 604 slash land with 175 wrc plus at double a you'd look at that on the surface and be like holy crap this guy's like the next all-star catcher but 
Um, you know, apparently scouts have seen enough of him to say that there are several noticeable holes in his swing. So don't get too yep. too stoked about the chances of Connor Wong being, you know, some. It'd also be interesting all-star. to see the effect that the uh, robot strike zone has on the defense first catchers. Yeah, that'll be really interesting. Um, and kind of seeing how teams' preferences are changed by that as well. Um, I was looking at Jeter Downs' total line for uh, uh, combining the two levels as well. Um, his his total line, his total slash line over the two levels was 276, 362, 526. Um, so overall, I mean, I think that's a really good prospect. And if I was to be asked which prospect I would rather have for my baseball team between Jeter Downs and Gratterall with this current Red Sox team. I think I would choose Jeter Downs. Um, I think if I had a team like the Dodgers where I had most of my positions locked up and filled, I would go for the upside of Gratterall. I still think that if he hits his absolute ceiling that he's a much more impactful player than Jeter Downs, but I feel very comfortable that Jeter Downs can lock up an everyday second baseman's role. And I don't, I don't feel the same way about Gratterall's chances of being a surefire starter. Yeah, I would agree with both those statements. Especially Jeter Downs. I feel a lot better about him being a starter. I mean, I think we're looking at like the best-case scenario with Gratterall. I mean, it's easy to forget Blake Trinan... And being, you know, having a season, one of the the better seasons a reliever has ever had um, because of just how injured he was last season um, and really kind of messed it up. But he he has basically the same pitch, uh, high 90s at times, triple digits, massive sinker. uh, And that, I would say, is probably like the floor for Gratterall being that like high leverage reliever. Mm-hmm. But if you can put that, like, I mean, there was a bunch of reports that said Gratterall can hold his velocity deep into outings, which gives him the ability to be a starter. Obviously, massive injury concerns. Uh, and we don't know what we saw or what the Red Sox saw in the medicals that were like, no, he's definitely going to be a reliever or whatever. But if you have that uh, that arsenal and what, like, Blake Trinan did over the season as one of the best, the best reliever in the game for that season – and turn that into a starter, that's pretty devastating. Yeah, yeah, the upside with him is just massive. And obviously the Red Sox saw something that they didn't like, and there were a lot of reports about how this deal was being held up because of PR reaction and, you know, stuff like that. But the Red Sox, let me just remind people, have been killed before for not holding up deals because of medical stuff. I'll point you to the Drew Pomerantz deal where the Red Sox – made that deal, and then Drew Pomerantz ended up having to get injections in his elbow and, you know, was decent here for a spell and then was kind of a nightmare here for a while. So I think the Red Sox, when they're making a deal this big, um, had to do their due diligence, and it drove me nuts and made everybody involved in this deal, uh, especially the Red Sox holding it up, look like rookies. Um, But I think that there was sort of a lot of oversimplification uh, of this whole thing by people just saying like, well, you know, his scouting report said that he was a reliever, reliever. And I don't think that that was it. I think that there was, there had to have been something else 
that the Red Sox were seeing here that they didn't like that changed their opinion of this guy. Um, and you can't have your second piece coming back for Mookie Betts be something that you don't think is going to work long term. And obviously, based on what they were able to get in Downs and Wong for the two other pieces, which were equivalent to Gratterall in their eyes, um, you know, they thought kind of a lot about Gratterall and valued him much higher than you'd value a reliever. They obviously viewed him as a starter if they were if he's comparable to that return. Oh, 100%. And, uh, like, I, I agree with you. I find it incredibly hard to believe that it was all, like, the public perception of him being a reliever or scouting reports of him being a reliever that held that up. Because if it was really, like, I saw a ton of stuff on Twitter of, like, all I had to do was pull up his fan graphs page or look at this BP <laughs> scouting report uh, I have a feeling that the Red Sox scouting team, analytics department, just the organization in general, has access to more information um, than uh, like the inability of pulling up a BP scouting report. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you think a, a multi-billion-dollar uh, organization um, that owns multiple professional sports teams has yeah. more resources than some egg on Twitter? Yeah. Ah, so, weird. like, if it was really that simple, <laughs> the, I don't think you would have been part of the deal in the first place. So there had to be something much more significant in the medicals that stuck out to them. Yeah, and the way that this medicals thing works is kind of interesting. And Rob Bradford has been putting out some really good stuff uh, over at WEEI.com throughout this whole process. And he kind of put out a a thing about what actually is the process when teams go to exchange medicals. And apparently team doctors um, have like a a period once a, a trade is completed where they will actually unlock their their private team medicals um, to the other organization. So they get to kind of dig through those documents at the time that the trade has been agreed on and before it becomes official. And so the Red Sox were in fact getting new information that they didn't have access to before during the time between the, the trade getting agreed on and when they would have made it official. And it was during that time when they had access to these added medicals that they you know, saw something that they didn't like. And we mentioned a few of these things on the podcast before, too. I mean, Gratterall had had Tommy John surgery, had had shoulder impingement last year, um, and is apparently throwing fine now. But there must have been something that they saw within those reports that gave them pause about his ability to um, handle a starter's workload. Yeah. So another thing about that, too, people were pointing out to, well, the Twins used him as a reliever when they first called him up last year, so that was a dead giveaway. Like, when the guys first get called up, they get used as relievers all the time. Like, Tampa Bay used David Price as a reliever in 2008. Does that, I mean, and then he was a starter for the, he's been a starter for the rest of his career. Like, that doesn't mean when he was first called up. Like, Chris Sale was another one. Yeah. So, that, like, that didn't mean anything at all either, but this is kind of points how stuff gets kind of blown up proportion on Twitter. But also, um, so you mentioned the, the Drew Pomerantz thing and kind of how this whole situation goes down. But um, the the thing with Pomerantz, it was the Padres withheld medical information. And then yeah. because the MLB made them 
add compensation to the trade after the fact, like a year later, because there was like an investigation into their their like medical practice, or whatever, and they had to add like cash to the deal. Like they gave the Red Sox the option of undoing the trade. Uh, and they were like, well, at this point, that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> so uh, just give us a bunch of cash and we're good. So, I mean, as annoying as it was for me, and my God, it was painful. Um, I have to give Bloom and everybody involved props for um, bearing with each other and getting this done. And obviously, I'm sure tempers <clears throat> were running very high uh, between all of the parties involved. And at one point, it was reported that the twins were so frustrated they were pulling out of the deal, but <clears throat> every uh, every side, you know, ended up focusing and getting this thing done, and finally we have a done deal, and we can move on with baseball. So everybody got what they wanted, except for the Angels, who remained furious. <coughs> Artie Moreno was apparently, like, livid over this whole process. I think Artie Moreno might have been the person who killed that deal, to be honest, out of spite. It is kind of funny how that ended up being the one that died. Like, doesn't it seem like that didn't really have an effect? You would think, because none of the pieces who were involved in that deal, uh, like, ended up going anywhere else. They're still with the Dodgers, so... (laughs) I mean, the only thing this does is it keeps... So the Dodgers were moving on from jock to because right now after the completion of the deal they're like two or three million dollars over the cbt cbt line uh and so they're moving jocks seven million or at the time it was whatever his it was either gonna be like seven or ten whatever the arbitration level ended up being and they know it's seven so they were moving his to go back under and so maybe he was just like no you know what we're not taking that money you have to stay three million dollars over yeah, I'm sure they'll have a really difficult time moving a quality pitcher like Stripling and a really good outfielder like Jock to someone else. Yeah. And I expect them <laughs> to complete another deal within like a week or two. Right. Um, idiot Angels, by the way. It's just miserable. Um, but anyhow, I mean, we won't harp on the negativity of this whole thing anymore. I'm happy it's over, Keaton. I'm happy we can move on and like... Like, as we've talked about, we, we mourned Mookie last week, and you can look at that one. But for now, uh, I think we can safely say that we are going to be forward-looking on this podcast. Um, and with that, I mean, we can talk about a couple of other things that have happened before we get to the ton of listener questions you guys submitted us. But Andrew Benintendi, he was one of the two players that was going to be going to arbitration uh, for the Red Sox, along with... Eduardo Rodriguez, but the Red Sox and Ben Attendee were able to avoid arbitration by agreeing to a two-year contract. Uh, deal's worth $10 million over the next two years. He's going to make $3.3 million this year and $6.6 million next year. Um, he'll still have to be arbitration eligible for the third season. Um, but what this does is it kind of locks him in at those two figures. And, you know, if Ben Attendee goes out and has an unbelievable year next year, it's not like the Sox are going to be hit with... Uh, eight to ten million dollar arbitration figure for him and he gets that locked in raise as well for next year it just adds a little bit more stability to the red sox in terms of what their uh their payroll looks like and now eduardo rodriguez is the only one that's going to end up going to arbitration with the team yeah this is actually I think a good thing for benintendi um because really like no matter how he does next year i think the his payment for arbitration is like 
the 90 or 95th percentile outcome or whatever. The way that the arbitration system works is you can only get paid <clears throat> like a certain percentage of whatever your salary was the previous year unless obviously you there's like an agreement between the teams. So if he was getting um, – and actually I don't remember what the figures were that they submitted. Um, probably should look I that have up. those. Um uh, I'm going to just give it to you off the top of my head. I just read them, but it was like Ben Intendi submitted 4.2, I think it was, and the Red Sox submitted 3.2, I think. It was something like that. They were about a million bucks apart All right. um, for that for this year. So had the Red Sox <clears throat> won, and then basically no matter how he did next year, then the best he could do was like 100% of that. So the best he would have been able to do was like 64 so with the, with doing uh, this first year here at three point four, then the best he'd do is six point eight. Yeah, if so he uh, balls out and like does wild. So locking himself in for next year at six point six, and then actually leaving himself a third year where if he has two like stellar years, then they could agree to something over that a hundred percent. That well, I guess that would be a thirteen point two for the third year. If he has like a massive two years, so uh, <coughs> within the the lines of the system, um, and he kind of sets himself up for the best success that he can have, regardless of the results. But then also leaves that third year to bet on himself, where he if he has two really good all star worthy years, then they can kind of scrap that and you know maybe agree to something like eighteen mil or whatever on the third year if he's you know, that all-star caliber level, whatever. So I think this actually works out really well for him. Yeah, I agree. And I was able to find those figures. It was 4.15 what he filed at, and the Red Sox filed at 3.4. So he actually gets lower even than what the Red Sox filed this year, but he gets a more aggressive figure next year. So. Spotrack has him at 3.4 for this year, which is what he filed at, I guess. Uh, WEI has him at 3.3. Um, but we'll see whatever the the actual figure comes out as. But Spotrack is my trusty source. Either way, I think this is a good thing for Ben Intendi too, not to have to worry about this. And Ben Intendi can focus on baseball. And yeah, something strikes me that he's the type of guy that uh, that matters a lot to. You know, being able to not focus on extraneous things. And getting back onto this. Yeah, that's yeah, really good. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez, for what it's worth, uh, filed at eight point nine seven five million, and the Red Sox filed at eight point three. So there is somewhat of a gap there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that one breaks down. And the last day for arbitration hearings is February twentieth. So we may or may not have clarity on where he falls by the time we record our next one. Yeah, so that's coming up. Um, the other bit of news here is that uh, there is a report out that Ron Renneke is going to be hired as the manager for the Red Sox for the 2020 season as soon as this um, as the report for Major League Baseball comes out. And um, Rob Manfred has said that he um, wanted it to come out before um, pitchers and catchers, and I believe that that was a Wednesday that that comes out so we could see this report um monday or tuesday potentially 
Um, but word is that there's not really a whole lot. Um, that's kind of what's being reported right now is that the Red Sox and people who are privy to the situation are thinking that MLB is not really going to find much and that uh, the Red Sox are probably going to be receiving something equivalent to a slap on the wrist because there's just not not much there, uh, which is why Ron Renicky, who was the bench coach for Alex Cora, um, looks like he's going to be the hire. I'll be curious to see a lot of things. Um, obviously, the final announcement of whatever punishment ends up coming down um, for everybody in the organization, if Cora gets any extra punishment in his suspension if it ends up still being one year for Cora is Renicky here for just one year and do the Red Sox want to bring Cora back after one year or are they truly completely done with having Cora as manager is this a one year test for Renicky and if he does well then they'll actually you know give him a actual managerial contract is are there or are they just using him as a bridge for um, just having this happen all so late this year and want to do an actual managerial search next year. I think I still have all of the, the questions and things that we've had before, but now we just kind of have a name to compare it to. I think, I don't think it, I mean, I guess I don't really think any higher probably would have really answered the questions, but I think if there's no extra punishment handed down to Cora. And um, I assume, well, maybe I guess I shouldn't assume, given this ownership group and how they do press conferences. I assume that if Renicky really was the hire, they would have a press conference to introduce him. Um, and I assume some of the questions that I just brought up would be asked. Um, is it just a bridge, and or is it are they committing to Renicky as a, a longer term manager? Um, are things that I would be curious to know, and if not. Uh, a long-term commitment, do they plan on uh, mulling over bringing quarterback? There's just no way they're going to be able to answer that question. Imagine if at a press conference, though, someone asked them, hey, is this guy just going to be here for a year? And the Red Sox were like, yeah. Well, don't you think someone would ask? I mean, I would ask it. Oh, yeah. It just won't be answered. You know, there's, yeah. there's no way because you would torpedo all of the – would be respect that or an in standing that that guy has if you just torpedo him right from the bat uh, about <laughs> any any staying power that he has. So, um, but I actually do think that the last point that you made about him being sort of a stopgap manager until they can do a more thorough search, it, this is what it has the feel of. And Matt and I talked about this probably three weeks ago on a podcast, um, and that's kind of. Where I am, I think Renicky is he's just the easy solution because everybody knows him. He knows how things work, and it's so late in the cycle. And I think that um, other guys would be decommitting from their current situations uh, at times that would leave their own teams that they're currently employed by in sort of bad situations too. So I think that this is just kind of the easiest solution in what is clearly going to be a little bit of a transitional year for the, the clubhouse and kind of everybody involved. So um, I'm not crazy about the move. I thought that if you're going to get rid of Cora, um, you need to get rid of his staff too. But that's actually when I thought they were going to find something substantial. So if they don't find anything substantial and they stick to the line that we fired Cora for what he did with the Astros, 
Um, then I guess good for Renicky and Fabulous and everybody else who was on that staff this last year. But I, I think it would be crazy of the team um, from a PR perspective to bring Cora back after a year of putting him on ice. Uh, I just think that there's no way that that happens. And I know that there are some people who definitely believe that and people whose opinion I really trust um, who think that. But I I don't think there's any way. Do you think that's realistic? Um, uh, no, uh, no. I mean, it would just look so bad, right? Yeah, I think it would. Yeah, I just have a lot of trouble with that. But Renicky's fine. I mean, he's been a manager before. He knows these guys. He's going to run a good spring training. I mean, it's going to be not interesting, um, but it'll be fine, right? I I don't know if it will be fine. <laughs> what are you worried about with Renegy? Well, I mean, I get not. I guess I'm thinking at it, of it as like a more a global view than a, just a Renicky as manager view. Okay. <laughs> I, so, I'm still in in mourning and just everything happening with the team. I'm just frustrated. And, when are you gonna lift your black veil knows? over there? Never, I never will. <laughs> Widow for life now. <laughs> All right. Shall we get to some of these listener questions? Yes. Yes, we have so many. Good job. Nothing's going to make me feel better like answering more questions about Mookie. Yes, it always always helps. We'll we'll continue to put that bandaid on and tear it off throughout the, <laughs> the next uh, sixteen or so questions, or however many there are. Uh, Mike Teague, uh, listener of the show and frequent contributor on Twitter conversations. Thank you, Mike. Says, how far away is Downs? He looks like he has a lot of promise, but is he more of a 2020 player or 21, 2021 and beyond? Hate losing Mookie, but I think the Sox definitely got more than anyone expected uh, and put themselves in a position to maybe sign him in the offseason. Uh, I agree with you, Mike. Um, I would say he is a player for more 2021 and beyond. Um, once they have some more clarity on the Pedroia situation, get him a little bit more finishing um, in both AA, and I think he'll clearly make it up to AAA <coughs> this year. Um, maybe he gets a cup of coffee uh, in September um, if they decide to make him one of the additional two people that they can bring up because I believe September rosters are now 28 because um, we're going to have 26-man rosters this year. Yep. Yeah, 2021. Um he ended the season at double A, didn't have a ton of it, so he'll be back there starting this season. So I think maybe by the end of the year he'll be at triple A or he'll either start twenty twenty one at triple A. And if that's the case, then he'll be like a twenty twenty one. Uh if he starts next year at triple A, I think it'll be a twenty twenty one September call up. Um and if he gets to AAA by the end of 2020, then I think probably by maybe like All-Star break 2021. But I think that's best case scenario is at some point, second half 2021. Hmm. Yeah, I think, if, I think if he has a really good year this year, he could potentially break camp with the team in 2021. But he'd have to have like an exceptional year, I think. <coughs> um. All right, next question. Um, Gianni Baseball, another frequent listener, he says, you don't really have to pod, especially after dying twice now. 
<laughs> but we do. But we have to. This is how we get it out, man. This is the catharsis right here. Um, but yeah, we've definitely definitely died a couple deaths this week. Um, Damien uh, has our next question. Uh, he says, can Red Sox fans really be expected to root for someone named Jeter? I'm actually fine with it, but yeah, salt in the wound for the average fan. And then Pat goes on to say, I don't know the kid, so we have to like someone named Jeter? Question <laughs> mark. Um, it's it's legit. I mean, it's weird. He's named after Derek Jeter, and he's on the Red Sox now. Yep, it's weird. Um, I don't know anything else about him, so I don't know. I think the the Yankees should have to get somebody named Big Poppy on their team now, or Ortiz. Or do we just have to ask uh, Young Jeter to change his name? Hmm. <laughs> All right, you've got to become Nomar Downs from now on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Small request here, but you know what? That name, yeah, it's got to go. It actually would be pretty great if, like, Players Weekend, he put Nomar on the back of his shirt. That'd be pretty funny. That would endear him to a lot of people. So I hope he does that. <laughs> uh, next question comes from JD3. He says, is this a better deal, uh, better, worse, or equal deal as the first one? Uh, I think we both agree better, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay, Ben Jacobson has the following question. He says, was Gratterall's future outlook that concerning that this trade was more of value to the team? Also, probably a dumb question, but why trade for a high-level shortstop when we have Xander starting there rather than an arm from the Dodgers system? Um, the Just the valuation of this guy is of that of a second baseman or a utility infielder. Um, he's not as good of a shortstop as Xander Bogarts is. Um Gratterall was that concerning, um, and I think that the the Red Sox valued downs higher than any pitcher in the Dodgers system not named Dustin May, and I think there was no way they were getting Dustin May. Yeah, I don't think so either. It's I mean, also pretty, pretty frequent that prospects change positions. Like I think a lot of people forget that Mookie Betts was actually the second baseman. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, everybody's a shortstop until they're not, right? Right. Well, that's, I mean, yeah, you bring up a good point. Like, literally every prospect is a shortstop, and then um, they really either, like, gain muscle or uh, get faster and then become a center fielder. And then uh, from there, gain, like, they get slightly slower, uh, but they have a shittier arm, so they move to the corner outfields. And then the shortstop that gains muscle goes to third base. And then they have a shittier arm. So then, then they go to second base. <laughs> so they all start out as shortstops and then go from there. Yeah, and that's the thing with this kid. It's not like Downs can't play shortstop. He can play a fine shortstop. It's just that he's probably not quite as good as Bogey there. Certainly not good enough to move off an all-star uh, off his position. He's a little bit thicker and he doesn't have quite the arm for third base. And even if he had an arm that was good enough for third base, Devers has an absolute cannon over there and grades out really well. So second base it is. Yeah. Uh, Reynaldo Oreo has our next question. He says, what is the next cost cutting move? What do you think it is Keaton? All of them at this point. In, All of the cost cutting moves. Yeah. I think the next cost-cutting move is going to be if they are truly out of it to trade J.D. Martinez. Yeah, I mean, that that one, um, Evaldi, um, 
uh, if you essentially make more than ten million dollars, I'd say you're on the trading block. Yeah, I don't think well, well, be no, in a sorry. rush to trade. That's a that was a terrible way to phrase that because that qualifies Andrew Bogarts. He's not going anywhere. No, he he endeavors uh, are are never never going anywhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's going to come down to where the team is, uh, and I think you'll see most deals that the Red Sox make from here on out with them having significant leverage in the con in whatever the uh, negotiation is because the Red Sox are now under that luxury tax <clears throat> threshold and really don't have a ton of incentive to trade people. Um, so yeah. I, think I think they're in a good position. J.D. Martinez probably gets traded at the deadline because I don't see a way that he opts in. Um Unless they're firmly in the playoff conversation, right? They're not going to trade him if they're in, in that You're, mix, right, right? Right. Which you had said you believe they will be. I don't think that they will be. So I I see him as more of a deadline move. So I think the next two cost-cutting moves are Evaldi and JBJ. Okay. Yeah, I could see them flipping JBJ. And I think those too. would happen before the deadline. And then JD would happen at the deadline. Uh, Internet Ryan says, what's the end game of all this change? Do any potential outcomes excite you? Uh, really coming up short, looking for things to look forward to with a team who fired their manager and GM and traded away their best player, uh, were accused of cheating, and raised ticket prices. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't been a great offseason. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good summation right there. Yeah, we've uh, we've covered that. It's been, it's been not fun, but um, I mean... When I look at the lineup, I still have a lot of reasons to smile. And that's Devers, that's Bogey, that's Sale. There's a lot to like still here. And I'm excited. I mean, I'll watch baseball in any form. So I've got the most exciting player to watch. Michael Chavis hitting 450-foot yeah. bombs. Yeah, exactly. He's going to be hitting some serious bombs and tanks and grenades and I am, whatever else. I mean, I know... If you've listened to this podcast, you know I love me some Chavis. But yeah. I am I am really excited to see him back on the field hitting bombs. You're the Chavis guy. I am the That's Chavis. for sure. You've established yourself as the Chavis guy. Yeah. And I for some gypsy. reason, I've established myself as the optimism guy this offseason. <laughs> yeah. It's um, really a strange brand for me. I guess to answer the question on the end game, though, I guess it's to, it was to reset the luxury tax to... I guess spend to go back over it within the next five years if we're to take John Henry at his word, which I think we have learned we cannot. So we'll see. <laughs> Who knows? <coughs> I, I would say we can take him at his word because he's always spent. And if he says he's going to spend again, then we'll be spending again. Um, but I think we will need to see how he spends uh, in order to fully judge whether or not it was worth it to do this. <clears throat> that's 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 the that's the thing to me though that just bothers me about this. Like the so we I mean we, we documented pretty thoroughly on the previous podcast about spending, and I I think I would rather the Red Sox not just spend to spend, which they have definitely done that at times. Yeah, not accusing them of doing that like any particular point recently or whatever, just saying at times they have definitely done that. Um, it just, it bothers me that Mookie would not be someone they would do that for. That's all. Uh, 
We uh let's not get into that again. <laughs> That's a whole, we did a whole podcast on that that disagreement. Yeah. So and we're we'll we're not we're firmly entrenched in our beliefs and we're not gonna change our minds, so we don't have to yeah. get into it. Exactly. But listen to the other podcast. It's a good one. It is a good one. We um, each other, it's great. Mikey Nash three says opinions on the return to Boston. We already gave that, so we're gonna skip you, but thank you for the question. Kevin Bolton says, what beer are you drinking? One, sad beer that Mookie is no longer in a Red Sox uniform. Two, depressed beer that the financial crunches have bit the Red Sox and it's come to this. Or three, uh, the angry, possibly shattered beer at executives for letting this happen and drawing it out so long. Which beer are you, Keaton? Um, that's a not... Not beer number well. I mean, it's kind of a mix of all of them. But so you're drinking all three beers? Yeah, I guess I am. I'm triple fisting here. Uh, I would say the the beer here that matches most up with what I feel is beer two, but I would also say that none of these are exactly the beverage of choice for me. Um, but I'm also sad, so I'm a combination. I would say the beer that I'm least is well. I'm really mad at the drawing it out so long thing. So uh, maybe I'm sipping on these beers. Will Keaton pounds them? That's that's what's gonna happen. Um, Smoky Rains um, says, "Who will be the SP five? Do you think a trade or signing or a Buckholtz type? I still believe it's gonna be a signing. I mean, they have no internal options, so it has to be a signing or a trade. Uh, and I I don't understand." how a trade would work. So, yeah, I think it has to be a signing. Wait, what do you mean you don't understand how a trade would work? <laughs> how Well, how would they trade for a pitcher right now? Well, they have $18 million in space, so... Yeah, so... They have a this, lot of things they could do. Right, so... If I... So, I'm... I'm, I'm high in bloom, mm. and I'm calling you up, Rando yep. GM, and I say, Hey, uh, I've got Jackie Bradley Jr., and I would like a major league uh, starting pitcher in return. And and your response is? Well, I think it depends on the team, right? Pick your team. Like, if, if you're someone like Pittsburgh who's just trying to literally get rid of anybody who's making any money, then maybe you listen. And I think it, it's less likely that it's going to be shedding a, a contract that's generally viewed around baseball as being too pricey, like a JBJ. And I think that they would probably be moving something like a Tanner Houck or, you know, a prospect like that for, for a pitcher. So a prospect who's probably a reliever for a major league starter, even though it's a fourth, fifth starter. Yeah. I mean, sure. Yeah. I mean, it all depends on, um, control right and how other teams see them so if a team like the pirates is trying to get rid of a starting pitcher who's making a bunch of money and they think they can get six years of quality out of a relief pitcher you know maybe they do that so that actually i just i don't see that working for a trade i mean the red Sox don't have that bad of a system right now they can definitely go out and acquire some things if they want to. I just see it much more likely being a signing. I would agree. I would say 
85% it's a signing, 15% it's a trade. And all I want for, out of this fifth starter spot is for them to be really discerning as to who they bring into the clubhouse in terms of them not being a trash person. That's all I ask. I don't really care how good they are at baseball. <clears throat> all right, Matt Kitson has our next question, and he has two in a row. He says, do you think Boston will keep utilizing Wong at second and third Along with catcher, referencing Connor Wong, he says baseball reference shows him having some time in the infields uh, besides as a catcher. What do you think, Keaton? Which one were we at? Oh, sorry. I was Connor Wong, second and third. Um, n- no. I don't think so either. I think they'll develop him as as a catcher because that's a severe weakness in the system right now. They literally yeah. have like no catchers, um, so he's an upper minors catcher. They're going to continue to develop yeah. him as a catcher in a pinch, maybe. I mean, he's an option like late innings. Some bullshit happens. Got to throw him there, kind of deal. But I don't think it would be something like intentional. Like, oh, actually, you know what? Who the hell knows? We had Christian Vasquez playing second last year. (laughs) That was funny. Yeah. That was really funny. That was one of the better moments of the year. Um, Kitson also asks us another question. He says, Jeter Downs is the heir apparent at second. If so, when do you expect to see him in Boston? I say yes, the heir apparent, and we're sticking to 2021. Uh, Keaton, do you see him as the heir apparent? I guess you weren't as clear with that as I was. Uh... Yeah, well, no, mainly it's just because I'm in Chavis Love. I'd like to see him, but with this acquisition, yeah, I guess, I mean, if I'm being objective, I would say Downs is probably a better option at second. He's probably a slightly better defender and slightly less upside with the bat. Yeah. I so. just want to make sure Chavis is getting his at-bat somewhere. I just want to see him hit the ball. That's this all. will be a big year for him. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, That's what you need to cling to. Yeah, you know what? If they do, Michael Chavis. If they either move on from JD Martinez or he opts out, maybe there's your DH. There you go. Uh, Andrew Amir says you have to get an arm at least as part of this deal. No, no, I don't think so. No, plenty of other ways to get arms. Uh, You get the best players that are available to you, and that's what the Red Sox did. John Moore has our next question. He says, not a question, but I feel much better about uh, Jeter Downs than Brewstar. Watched Jeter hit three home runs in one game last year in the Texas League Championship. Dude is a stud. I like that. I like the the scouting. Texas League Championship scouting right there. Good stuff, John. And then Zach uh, says... Do you think ownership or Bloom will try and explain this whole trade mess publicly? Are there any PR stunts you anticipate to help ease our pain of this offseason? And do the Red Sox make a competitive offer for Mookie in 2021? So three pretty damn good questions there. Let's take the first one. Uh, Keaton, this is your specialty. Uh, (laughs) Will Bloom and uh, the ownership do any PR stuff? No. So you think they'll just let us sit and stew without giving us an explanation? Yeah, I mean, they, they don't do these things. Uh, I hope they do. I hope that Bloom convinces them that there is some explanation of all this owed to the public and 
does that. That would go a long way, right, to making people at least feel like they care about our feelings somewhat. It would. You're right. But they they don't. Well, I mean, <laughs> they don't as in, they like, haven't. press conferences aren't something they do. I I don't know if they do <sighs> care about our feelings or not. I <laughs> can't say yes or no on that. But it would be nice if they did say, you know what? We just had this absolute debacle of a trade. It was an absolute mess. Uh, we do kind of look incompetent in the, just the general public's eye. We also traded our franchise player. Why don't we have a little chat about it? But they won't because that's not what they do. Yeah, they would definitely never say all that stuff. But maybe they would try and explain at least... What was the hang-up with the medicals or, you know, I don't know. The only thing I could see happening is there being, uh, they would put it out through the globe uh, and, like, none of it would be attributed to the actual front office. It would just all be, like, our sources say, here's what it was, and it would be a nice Mm. little fluff piece for the team. That is probably much more likely. Yeah, keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Um, And do you think they make a competitive offer for Mookie in 2021? I hope so, but probably not. So the 2021 class is terrible. Um, it is. Outside of Mookie and some stud relievers and a couple of decent pitchers. Uh, so, man, I think yes. I think yes. I think they'll be involved. I don't feel confident in their ability to resign him, but... I am at least confident they will make an offer. Well, that's it. All right. That's our show, Keaton. Um, Do you have anything before we get on out of here? Any closing thoughts on this whole, whole shebang that has been happening for far too long? Nope. Nothing that was not summed up. Very frustratingly on the previous emergency podcast, so I won't, I won't make you suffer through any of that anymore. <laughs> All right. Well, we won't make the people suffer through that anymore. Uh, go listen to other podcasts if you uh, want to hear our initial reactions to this and our in-depth feelings about why it happened. Um, you can follow both of us on Twitter. You can follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at, at DevJake. You can follow the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. And most importantly, you can subscribe to this podcast. Basically, anywhere you get a podcast, you can download this one. You can search for either Over the Monster podcast or The Red Seat. It should come up under both names, I believe, Keaton. Does that work for you? Under both uh, names. I don't know if I have searched f- uh, for both, so I will give that a go and yeah. get back to you. <laughs> Yeah, I I think that it will work under both names. But um, yeah, the Over the Monster podcast and there sometimes it comes up as two different podcasts um, because we had one previously and then we have this one. But I think they got rid of the other one. So this should be the one that you find and subscribe to us, rate us, review us. We always appreciate that. We always appreciate you guys listening to the show. And uh, I expect that... um, You know, as real baseball gets underway um, with pitchers and catchers reporting and the spring coming, um, things will only get better uh, than they are now. So optimism abound. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you, Keaton, and we'll be with you next time. 